to the Four Jack Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season four of the Four Jack Podcast, Canada's number one award-winning golf podcast and the fastest-growing podcast in America. Brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade Golf. Their new lineup for 2022 is dropping January 4th, so stay tuned for some sneak peeks in the coming weeks. We would also like to thank multiple 4Jack sponsors. Without them, this show could not be possible. Jackson Labs, Therabody, Cricket Shirts, Galvin Green, Peretti Golf, Goat Track, and wash that all down, Head Show Tequila Soda. To kick off Season 4, we have brought in the big guns. On tonight's show, we have Collegiate Hall of Fame royalty. But before we get into tonight's guest... Let's head around the country and check in with the Four Jack family on the road. Tombo, what's happening? Not too much, brother. Just excited for a big season four with the boys. We've got some faces. We got D Lane joining us, David, as usual. And today we got a huge guest. Uh, yeah, just excited. It's unconventional as far as golf coaches go, but bringing a lot of. Uh, a lot of what other sports have to offer to the golf game, and I'm interested to dive a little deeper into the psychology of what went into being a good baseball player, basketball player, and how that translates into helping golfers be better leaders on and off the golf course. I like that. David, what's going on? You're in the airport. Yeah, the world is open again. Back on the road in Detroit, off to St. Louis again, and then down to Dallas, but really excited about our next guest, uh, my kid, Benny. I told him we had the USC golf coach on. He's uh, been Googling USC. He's a Texas kid, but uh, I also said Texas A&M. Maybe some connections there, but all about USC today. Pretty excited. But over to our man right near USC, Derek Lane. Let's go. All right, guys. Well, it's awesome. Happy to be here. <laughs> Center of the universe in the South Bay of, of LA, as we all know. Uh, obviously, incredibly close to where our guest is. I have a little insight with this as I've spent a lot of time with him. Uh, and I can't wait for this to start. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier in the last show, and I'm, I'm super excited uh, for the possibility of what's going to come out of this, as is, is we've talked about earlier. Not conventional. It's going to have some great answers, but more importantly, kind of getting behind the facade that is the Hall of Fame coach. So that's going to be fun for me, knowing that I get to see him two, three times a week. So excited, as we all know, the USC team, both the men and the women are members of the, at the Rolling Hills Country Club. So it's kind of a fun aspect for me to, to sit back, listen a little bit, maybe ask a couple of questions. I wouldn't have the uh, the cojones to ask further and work, but he's actually a member of my club. So uh, with with that, we'll just kind of start into it, Parksy. You got to walk the line a little bit. I love that. A little well, bit, you yeah. Got lot, you got a lot of horsepower on the show tonight, boys. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome the head coach of the University of Southern California men's golf team, Mr. JT Higgins. Nice to see you again, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to be here, guys. Good to see you all. Absolutely. So you've had a little bit of a travel day as we're checking in with the guys around the country. What's going on? Where are you posted up? What's happening in your life right <laughs> so now? So I, I flew out uh, from, I actually left from Orange County this morning and or this afternoon for Las Vegas for the golf coaches um, convention and out here in Vegas. And my flight was delayed. So I thought I had given myself plenty of time to hook up with you guys. Um, as soon as I'm off of this, though, I, I've got a treat. I get to go to uh, the Golden Knights tonight, um, <laughs> playing Calgary. And, uh, and so I've got, uh, fortunately for, for the USC golf coach, uh, one of the minority owners is a USC alum. And so we're sitting in the owner's box. I'm taking a couple other coaches with me and, uh, and we're pretty fired up for that tonight. So go Knights. 
the Las Vegas Golden Knights <laughs> slash Cirque du Soleil show that you're you're about to prepare yourself for. But before yeah, we do that, helmets, I need to just I need to do this and let me know if you know what this is. There, uh, JT. Time time. There we go. There's Best a lot fight of song sports. There was a lot of juggling going between the applause <laughs> and the fight song, so I figured I'd just on the USC alumni note, we just stop it there and get that fight song going for the boys. There we go. And we do have to be careful, coach. You don't want to break out to hockey talk because this will completely go a different way with this group of guys. Have, so we got to steer this right back to golf or it's going to get away quickly. Not sure. Not sure if y'all know uh, Brennan Webb, but I'm taking him with me. The coach for the University of Tennessee. He's a Canadian and uh, he's very excited for this game tonight. <laughs> Webby, uh, the, the pride, uh, I guess, the pride of Bracebridge, Ontario. His dad, uh, we had we had John from Notre Dame on and him and Brennan grew up together and uh, I know Webby a little bit, so him and his dad, because our cottage is right near there. So, say hello, send some Canadian love. Sure well. Ontario, so. The center of okay. the universe of Canada. I love it. Yeah, there's always a reference back to something to do with that area of the world. So, anyway, hey, boys, where? To Ontario. Go. That's right. Where do we want to start tonight, guys? We have this gentleman on. He's he was a public relations sort of approach initially he's moved into like this ultimate royalty status of coaching where do we want to go with this how did they convince you to start coaching golf i guess was the thing because it's not really what you're known for now it is obviously as a hall of fame golf coach but back in the day when you were making a decision about life and you were thinking about pr and sports and you had some colleges saying hey why don't you come teach golf like take us through just that process and the decision it's it's a it's a pretty simple story uh i was i was out here in las vegas i was the um assistant sports formation director for um unlv and i did football and basketball and then my spring sport was golf and um so you know basketball had just won the national championship i was working for coach Darkane. they went undefeated and lost in the final four to uh duke and I, I do hate christian leitner in case you're wondering and <laughs> And never met the guy, but don't like him. And then uh, anyway, we, we went into the spring season and I, and golf was my sport. Um, I really, I treated them um, with all the respect and the work ethic that I gave to the football and basketball programs. And our assistant coach at the time was Bruce Hepler, who's now also a hall of fame coach at uh, Georgia tech. And Bruce decided to leave uh, to go be the assistant at Oklahoma state for Mike Holder and um, coach Knight called me up and uh, asked me to come in and wanted to meet with me and, and asked me if I was ever interested in getting into coaching. And um, I looked right at him and I said, golf. And he said, yeah. And I said, it's never even crossed my mind to be a golf coach. And, um, and he said, well, why not? And I told him, well, because what I know about golf, I've learned from you in the last six months. Um, You know, I, I've never played it. I don't know, you know, how you coach a sport that you've never played. And he, and he told me, well, I'll teach you everything you need to know about golf. Um, I, I think you should come work for me. And I told him no again, um, actually told him no three times. And then, and then finally he said, uh, well, how much money do you make? And, and I told him, and I had a wife and two kids at the time. And he said, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a $5,000 raise in a car. 
And so, and so I looked and I was like, coach, why, what, I don't get it. You know, why me? There's a, there's a, there's a lot of qualified people out there that could do this job for you. And he said, uh, you work your ass off. The kids love you. I think you're going to be a great recruiter. I just, I don't think I've ever seen anyone that was more born to do this job than you. And uh, so, you know, I said, I'm, okay, you know what? I'll give it a try. If you, if you believe that I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot and see, uh, see how it goes. And I really thought I'd do it for a year or two. Um, if I'm honest, I, for the first couple of years, I really was looking for any in back into administration. I wanted to be a general manager of a baseball or basketball team or an athletic director. Um, that was kind of the path that I had chosen. And, um, but we got really good really quick. And, um, and the next thing I knew people were calling and offering me head coaching jobs. I think it was mostly off of the recruiting that we were doing. Um, but I figured, well, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I, I better figure out what it is I'm trying to, trying to accomplish with these guys. So, um, you know, that, that just led to me really being like a sponge and hanging around with Dwayne as much as I could learning everything I could from him and, uh, spent six years here as an assistant coach, uh, for, for, for Dwayne. And we had a lot of success and, um, it led to some great things. Is that kind of when you start collecting the ingredients for that special recipe or taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that, was there something that truly resonated early and you're like, Hey, wait a minute. I think I see some kind of Avenue here. I can piece this together and maybe be successful. For sure. You know, so, so, you know, People aren't that familiar with college golf, but Dwayne Knight, um, his coaching tree is really, it's, it's almost Saban-esque. Um, if you go across the country and you look at the people that, that were either directly assistants for him or people that worked for his assistants when they got head coaching jobs, um, you know, I, I'm off the top of my head. I think I could come up with 20 teams right now that are influenced by his teaching and his coaching. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I realized, man, this works. His system works. I think it'll work anywhere. And, um, you know, so I really did uh, take most most of what I do. I've learned from him. But then also, you know, everyone puts their own, uh, you know, flair on things or their own style. And, um, you know, I, I knew there were some things I wanted to do a little bit differently. But but for the most part, um, you know, I, I love the ingredients that he put into building the team and how he how he coached them, how he held them accountable, um, how he built a team um, where guys cared about each other and uh, and worked harder for, for things a little bit bigger than themselves. And I, I took all of those things with me. And then obviously over, you know, 25 years now of being a head coach, um, you know, it's, it's always a little bit different sitting in that head coach's chair from the assistant coach's chair. But, um, you know, I, I think I've learned and grown a lot. And, um, On that note, I, I guess I'm special what you've been learning about golf, not having gone down the road of like being a big golfer per se, like playing competitively growing up and doing that, which most people would expect. Uh, what did, like, what did you learn about golf? I guess, like, what are the important things about golf that as a head coach that you picked up and were like, yeah, like this is the core pieces to building a good golf team, being like competitive at the sport. Like, yeah. What, what did he teach you about golf that you're like, this is like, I can pass along these points to these guys. <laughs> yes, we all got our notebooks out. Yeah. So give us the goods. Give us the goods. <laughs> there, there, there's, there's a few things that, that are basic. The, the number I, I asked him the very first day, I said, what's the most important thing I need to know about this job. And he told me never leave your best team at home. And so, um, you know, when you have qualifying to go on the road, right. 
um, there are coaches that will play for five spots and that's pretty risky business, right? That's, that's, uh, you know, and, and parents and, and kids who don't finish, who, who finished third or fourth in a qualifier, they think that's the way it should be. Well, I, I beat these guys this week. I should get to play in the lineup. But if your number one guy has a bad week of practice, um, do you really want to leave him home because he didn't qualify well? I mean, you know, it's kind of like uh, the, the example I can give you is on a, is on a Saturday. If the, if the backup quarterback had a great week of practice, who's starting at quarterback on Saturday? Right. The starter starting the backup is on the bench. Yeah, and like, so it's, it's, it's the same way for, for good golf teams is that you don't, you just don't give those spots away easily. You know, I, I have a pretty good idea who my five best players are. And, and when you really have your team going well, you make them realize that qualifying is for them. It's not for me. So when we're out there playing, I put two spots out there every time. And if you finish first or second, you're going on the trip. If you finish third, there's a, you might not get picked. You know, right. the, and it's just like qualifying for the PGA Tour or going through Q school. If you're one shot outside the number, it's, hey, better luck next time. And it's a hard reality. And, and you know, it's it's the cruelest of sports without a doubt. And that's and we start teaching them that pretty early, at least in our program, is that, look, you, there's two spots you're playing for. And after that, don't expect anything. We're not going to hand it to you. Is it easy to identify those guys right out of the gate? Like, do you know when you've done your recruiting, these guys come to come to the school you can, you can kind of see, okay, I know this kid's going to work hard. I know these guys are going to mature and grow and be better players, or is it kind of, you know, up in the air for the first six months of the year? You, you have a pretty good idea. Um, you know, that, that would bring me to point two that I learned from Dwayne is that uh, nobody's ever won the Kentucky Derby on a jackass. Right. Um, so, so just like every other sport, recruiting <laughs> is your lifeblood. Um, you've got to get the best players. Um, you know, when you look at, um, you know, I'll, you know, use a program like Oklahoma state. Um, yeah, they've put out a ton of PGA tour players, but I could also give you a list of guys that were can't miss junior golfers that you've never heard of again. So when you're starting with the best players, you're going to end up with a pretty good, uh, product in college. And, and so, um, and usually that goes on, you know, but just like everywhere else, if you don't work hard, uh, then guys that aren't as talented, you are going to catch up. And so that's, that's our job is to make sure those, great players uh, continue to work hard and develop hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yes, sir. Mr. Tebow, <laughs> David, David giver. Well, 2002, I think uh, one of his recruits, Mr. Nice recruited in 2002, Jason Deacon would attest that he was a freshman <laughs> coming in there. It might've gotten the nod for the hall of fame and the coaches association, but um, anyway, <laughs> I bet well, I really think that. <laughs> what? 2002, Teeks was a freshman at UNLV. And uh, anyways, um, going back, I want to go deep into Texas A&M and understand, you know, the transition from UNLV um, and where that kind of took you and how you ended up at Texas A&M. And then obviously the USC. Walk us through some of, you know, I guess that path. Take us on the journey, Tom. Hit the harp. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna time travel here. There you go. Set the so, mood. So, you know, I was here at UNLV for six years and, um, and we did an unbelievable job. I think our last three years, we were ranked one through three um, at the end of every year. And the players that we brought in were, were amazing. Um, in all, you know, I think we had 11 or 12 tour players in the six years we were here. And, and then so that led to obviously some offers. And so when John Fields got the job at Texas from New Mexico, um, 
Dwayne was the coach at New Mexico when John played there and, and he helped John get the job. So the two coach, the two prior coaches both wanted me to get that job. So I interviewed on a Friday. I was the head coach on Monday. I don't think they brought anyone else in. And then um, we just started building. And the, the funny, the funny thing about being at New Mexico was that all anyone cared about was how we did against Texas because John left New Mexico to go to Texas and they wanted us to beat them. And so, you know, they weren't in our, they weren't in our conference. They weren't in our district. They weren't in our region, but still everyone cared how we played against them. So that put a little chip on my shoulder. And so every time we faced Texas, um, we, you know, whether it was coming from the, from the coach or the players, I think the players got tired of hearing about it too. So we actually were, were doing great against Texas and, um, we went down and played in the border Olympics in Laredo, Texas. Um, the coach for Texas A&M was retiring and this was his send off. So Texas play, all the Texas schools play. We came, uh, Jim Nance did the, the opening ceremony for him to wow. send them off. Um, Jim and coach Ellis had known each other forever. Um, it was just a huge deal. Well, all of the A&M people came down for this retirement party well, it just so happened, University of New Mexico won the golf tournament and we beat the University of Texas pretty handily. And so as soon as I left, my phone just started ringing off the hook, Texas A&M calling. Um, they weren't very good, to be honest. They, they, uh, they were um, really struggling at the time. Um, but, you know, I went out there and interviewed and, and you could see it, you know, the, the potential and, and the, how much they cared about their athletic department and, and they wanted to be good in everything that they played in. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I took it, you know, I, I thought I was recruiting a lot of kids from Texas already to New Mexico. And, uh, you know, it was just seemed like a natural move. And, and then on top of it, we get to play against Texas all the time in everything and, and competing with them for players and, um, and then at tournaments and then the comp in the big 12. And um, it was just, um, a, that was just a fun time uh, to be there. And for you, for the Canadian guys, you know, my first recruit at Texas A&M was a Canadian, was Andrew Parr. Um, I was just going to ask, I yeah. was just going to ask, that would have been, <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask the timeline, like, it was Andrew Parr, your first recruit. So he was my very it. first recruit. And, and I right. took him, I took him sight unseen. Um, I was looking for players and I called up, uh, he had won an AJG up in Wisconsin or something. And I called and talked to some friends and um, they said, he's your kind of guy, big, strong kid. Uh, moves it very raw, but um, works his butt off. You'll like him. And he got off the airplane and we shook hands. And, you know, I, we always joke about it now because we were, I just talked to him on the phone yesterday. We were still super close. And, um, you know, we got, and it was like magic. As soon as he shook my hands, I was like, I don't know if this guy can play golf or not, but I want him on my team. And uh, he ended up being an all American for us. And, you know, he turned, he turned that program around him and the guys that came with him. 300 he's, been yard, on, he's been on the show. Yeah. Yeah, 300, three, 300 yard two irons, like little snipes. AJT, <laughs> you know, we, we talk often, obviously, as I said earlier, I'm lucky that I get to see you pretty much on a daily basis when you're in town or not traveling. And we've spent a lot of time talking about Texas A&M and then the move to USC. But, you know, one of the things that we, we touched a little bit, we really haven't touched on is, is winning a national championship. You know, there's a lot of things people in this world aspire to do. 
And then there's very few people who actually get to that level of, of the mountain. And, you know, to think that you guys did at AM and, you know, after doing a little research today, I didn't realize you were the first national champion in the men's side for almost, it was pretty close to most 75 years. So take us through a little bit what it's like to actually climb that, obviously working uh, at Vegas and, and being under one of the tutelage or being under the tutelage of one of the best and then kind of sowing your own oats and at the University of New Mexico. And now you're at AM and you're winning and you're getting guys like Cameron and, as you said, Andrew and these guys. What's the feeling of walking off winning 3-2 against Arkansas and you won the national championship? Like, what hits you there? If you know the story of how we won, um, relief was the biggest thing because um, our guy was four up with five to go and lost four holes in a row. And and so now we're all square on 18. And I seriously was um, – I'm not, I'm not saying this one – there's not one bit of false – modesty or anything on this I seriously was completely concerned with Bronson on the 18th hole more than whether we won or lost because I really thought if he loses another hole he might not ever recover from this um right you know I, I definitely was going to keep him away from sharp objects and you know high high balconies those kind of things because he would you know he was a wreck and so when he hit that shot to a couple inches and, and we won um, you know, it was pure relief. I was just like so happy for him and these guys and we had worked so hard and, um, we'd come close, you know, um, really, I think even the guys that were on the teams around there would tell you that we were probably a better team in 08 and 2010 than we were in 2009. Um, but that was just kind of the, that year was when it all came together and, um, just a special group of guys and, um, all of them ended up, you know, we, we heard a lot that, you know, Oklahoma state was the best team that year and the best team didn't win. But if you look at it, I mean, we, we had a lineup of Andrea Pavan who's had a successful career on the European tour. Bronson Bergoon's had a great PGA tour event. Uh, Conrad Schindler has been on PGA tour and in, in corn Ferry forever. Okay. Um, and then uh, John Hurley, who's the longest player I've ever coached um, was awesome in match play there. And then Matt Van Zant was a terrific five guy who ended up going and doing some other stuff besides golf um, after college, but turned into one of the best am- mid am golfers in the country um, for, for quite a while um, after college. So we had a terrific team and, and I had two, I had two guys, um, Jordan Russell ended up being a three-time all American and Nacho Avira who's played on the European tour forever sitting at home. So we were pretty loaded ourselves. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought we, we put it all together pretty good there. There was a, there was a, but, you know, winning a championship in anything takes some luck and Georgia beat Oklahoma state in the first round of match fight. And then Arkansas upsets Georgia. And so all of a sudden you're going, Hey, we beat Arkansas all year. We played great against them. And, and they were, their team was amazing. They had Ling Murth and Andrew Landry. I mean, those are stars. So, you know, it was, it was just so thrilling. I can tell you that, um, I, so talking about not winning in 70 years, any national championship on the men's side, um, I seriously sat up all night reading text messages and emails from old Aggies that were like, I didn't think I would live to see this. And so these guys were just so, um, emotional. I mean, I, I was crying my eyes out all night, just reading these things. It just brought so much happiness and joy to so many people. And then, you know, two weeks later, the track team wins men's and women's national championship right behind us. And so that was pretty cool too, to get three in one year after not getting any forever. You lit the gunpowder and away she went, I guess. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, our boy, Joel, Joe, uh, old ham might've been crying that day uh, from <laughs> Texas A&M in the seventies, but 
Anyways, go Chris. <laughs> Can we, JT, you got to know Joe Oldham. We got to we got to have a story about Joe. I, Do you know I Joe? Think, no, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Yeah. Interesting. We Maybe give Joe Joe the slap for that one. Though. Yeah. Joe's a legend is on mine, clearly. Uh, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> for four time All American at AM and from the seventies though. So okay. Well, sure. Should we're get to know Joe order. basically is what we're saying. Um he's good people. <laughs> one thing that maybe I'd like to dive into is yeah, maybe the preparation around just getting to that national championship. Obviously, I'm I'm happy to hear that going four and five down to all square on 18. And then at the end of that, you can kind of, it's easier to focus on the learning lessons of like not taking your situation for granted when you get away with it rather than like, yep. yeah, let's we like, that's the toughest <laughs> lesson is losing on that day. So it's happy to hear that that didn't have to work out that way. But <laughs> I was doing some research and it, it seems that you took your basketball, baseball, like the workouts, getting people prepared in the gym early, like, Take us through the preparation of like those seasons, getting the team into form and like what it was that like comes from your other life that really helped prepare these guys to be national champions. Yeah, we we went through. So my first uh, I can't remember the number, but my first three or four years here at A&M, we we actually had like 17 guys come in and out of the program that didn't make it through. It was almost like the military. It was like, um, you know, it at least to golfers, I think it seemed like, like seal training because they were quitting and, or, or uh, getting kicked off the team left and right. And, um, but we were, we were just determined to be tougher than everyone else and outwork everyone else. Um, I really, I think I just brought a mindset that we weren't golfers. We were D one athletes and, um, and we were a team we, we weren't, it wasn't an individual sport. If other teams wanted to treat it that way, um, I felt like that's your loss, you know, because, um, we're going to grind for each other all the way. The, the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my coaching career is the 500 rule. And not because I'm worried about not going to regionals, but because we always played to move up the leaderboard no matter what. And, and you know, I, you guys have been around golf your whole lives. You've seen it. If, if there's guys that if they're not going to win the tournament or they're not going to get a big check, you know, they just go through the motions on the, on the weekend. And, you know, if, they drop. Right. And, and, uh, where I was always like, look, we need to just keep beating people. And so I think, I think there was a streak in there one time where we finished in the top five, like in 30 straight tournaments or something for three years, we were just automatic, but it was always because of that final round, we were always getting better. Well, now everyone has to play that way because you can't afford the losses. Right. Right. Um, but I liked it the other way. I liked that we were the only guys doing that. And, and so that was part of it. Um, you know, we, we held guys accountable. Um, you know, we did, uh, we do the morning workouts. Um, I don't know how many college campuses you guys have been on, but, but Thursday night's a pretty big night, uh, for going out if you want to go tear it up. And so we, we made sure we were working out at six in the morning on Friday. So you, you had some decisions to make. And then, um, if we, if that was a problem, we'd practice early on Saturday mornings too. So we're just trying to get them to focus on school and golf first. You're still going to have a great time in college. Um, but let's remember what we're here for. And then, and then we, you know, I feel like if I was the bad guy, a lot of the times, well, then that made them, you know, love each other more and, and hold you know, they, they all were in the same boat. Um, you know, I, I treat everyone equally bad, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> although I've softened up a lot in my old age, I think I, I'm not near as, 
tough on them as I used to be. But um, I think part of that is I'm not with the transfer portal and the way the world is, uh, you know, with parenting and, and uh, all the coaching they get on the side. It's uh, it's tough to be a hard ass all the time. Without well, well, people and leaving. that's that's an awesome transition, because here you are, your Hall of Fame coach, you're at Texas A&M, you know, you're a college station. You're obviously one of the biggest fish in a, in a pond that might not be the biggest pond in America. And now suddenly you get the call, right? And it's like COVID is here. It's a pandemic. And it's like the University of Southern California, which kind of auto recruits and does a lot of things, as you know, but it's not the same anymore. And life's changing. And so as you look down the road and you're, you're sitting in AM, you've got this, this, excuse me, successful career. Now the University of Southern California says, hey, we're looking for a golf coach. So from Texas to L.A., I mean, it, it, there's nothing parallel, right? Everything's different. <laughs> And so take us through the phone call and, and why you said yes and, and how you ended up here, you know, on campus at USC. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great question. I, I mean, first of all, my, my girlfriend lives in Orange County and we were doing, you know, for four years, we were having a long distance relationship. Um, I can tell you it's the only job I would have considered leaving Texas A&M for. Um, they probably caught me at the right time. Um, as far as, you know, COVID, I'd been out in California for almost a year, basically. We weren't allowed to do anything in College Station with our players, um, no face-to-face -face contact. And so, um, you know, it, I just loved it in Southern California. And I knew that when, when everything was said and done, that's where I wanted to end up, um, you know, after my career was over. I, I didn't know the USC job was ever going to open up. And, and, you know, I even thought, well, maybe at the end I'll coach a, you know, Santa Barbara or an Irvine or something like that. And, you know, see if we can get them to regionals and, and build a, build a nice solid program. And then all of a sudden the USC opportunity opened. And, and so I thought, man, what a challenge. And, you know, and if I'm honest, ego, right. I'm like, what would it be like to win a national championship at those two schools? USC's never won a national championship in golf. A&M had never won one. I just, you know, I would love to have that be the final legacy for me personally for my personal goals um that would be pretty awesome so <laughs> i just um uh, so, yeah <laughs> it, it, yeah and it's and you know and it's a challenge because it is different you know i i didn't think I'll, I'll put it this way i didn't think the culture was as big a difference as it is but at the same time i can tell you that kids aren't different i don't think kids are different now than they were 30 years ago and i don't think California kids are different than Texas kids. I think parents are different. I think, I think what we allow kids to get away with and who's calling the shots and those kind of things are way different than what, you know, when I first started coaching, parents weren't trying to be their kids' best friends. Right. They were there for them when they needed them, but they were more trying to prepare them for life. Kind of what coaches do. So we were all kind of on the same page. And now, um, you know, parents are the second something goes wrong parents are like well you don't have to put up with that you can uh, you know you can do whatever you want and you can leave you can you know so I, i'll tell you a great uh, story from texas a&m um y'all know who billy gillespie is i hope basketball coach so when he took the job at uh at a&m he was the team went 0 19 the year before in the big 12 they didn't win a game and so he comes in and he has Antoine Wright, who ends up having a nice career with the New Jersey Nets. And AC Law would, had just um, finished his freshman year. And so they came in and told him that they wanted one was going to turn pro and one was going to transfer. And Billy looked him right in the eye and said, go ahead. 
He said, all I have to do is, is win one game and I'm a hero. You think I need you to, you think I need you guys to win zero games. And that's kind of how my attitude was at, at A&M when I got the job there. And, and really that's the attitude that you need is like, look, you need us more than we need you. And, and it's, you know, obviously we're all working together and trying to build something, but at the same time, you know, you can't do it without us. Um, you know, you look at a college golfer. Um, I don't care how good you are. None of them get invited to these tournaments. No one's getting invited. Uh, an individual is not getting invited to Colonial. He's not getting invited to Inverness. He's not getting invited to Aaron Hills. The team gets invited to that. The coach gets invited to that. So there's a, there's obviously some things going on there that they need to understand how important we are to them. And, you know, we are coaches already know how important players are and they get, it's amazing. Being a D one athlete is a great deal. And, you know, you hear a lot that they get exploited and taken advantage of. I mean, if that's exploited, sign me up because it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a pretty good life. And, uh, and especially being a D one college golfer and a power five school. Um, it's, it's a pretty that's good experience. I think yeah. what's cool. interesting about what you were saying there is just, yeah, like, Hey, if you don't want it, leave. And it's like, cool, go leave. And if you can figure out how to do it on your own, that's great. But like in this system and in this world that I'm trying to build, like that just, that's, that's toxicity. That's going to eat away at like what we're actually trying to build. So it's like, no one's winning in that situation where you want those people who can buy in and they understand that like to really be successful, there's like some sacrifice along the way that you got to buy into the process. And kids are a blank slate and parents are the ones putting their little notes on their paper saying, Hey, this, that, and the other thing that like, if you talk to anyone who's truly made it and done anything in their life, like they got to learn to like buy into a process with someone that knows a little more, like there's these things that you give up along the way to like actually get there. And it's, it's, it's a weird world we live in right now, but it's cool to hear. Coach, before you, before you answer that, what is, to add to this, what is the sense of entitlement in this generation now? Because in the workforce world where a lot of us operate or exist, there seems to be this sense of entitlement, like, oh, I've made it here. Now I don't have to really work hard or you should be doing this for me instead of me doing this for you. Things like that. Does that exist in that world or you just don't have any time for that kind of stuff? Well, no, it exists. You know, you're looking in in our sport. um, If you're any good as a junior golfer, you're getting fit for brand new clubs every year. You're getting all the balls you need. You know, uh, Nike or Adidas is sending you all the clothes that you want. Um, You know, and then all of a sudden you get to college and all that has to go through your coach or your, or the university equipment staff. And then what's even crazier is, you know, you watch guys as they get close to their senior year who their whole life has been getting this stuff handed to them. Now they want to turn pro. Well, all of a sudden, guess what? That, that has dried up. If you're not an all American, if you're not some guy they think is going to make it, well now, well, sorry, we can, nobody. You know, there's, there's not much we can do for you. And, and so that's what I'm saying is my job, I think is to prepare them for what's coming right for real life. And if I just hand them things, then that's not getting them ready. And I don't, you know, it, it doesn't matter how good you are. I mean, if, when you get to that elite level, there's some guys for sure. Um, but everyone wants to compare themselves to those guys too. Right. It's like, whenever someone tells me, well, this is the way tiger did it. And I'm like, you're not Tiger. <laughs> your, name, your name's Jeff, not Tiger. <laughs> exactly. You know, you need to worry about how this guy over here did it because when it went and played the state opens and the mini tours and, you know, went up and traveled with his buddies all over Canada. 
so they can make ends meet in shared hotel rooms. That's who you need to emulate because that's what you're going to be doing for the next five years that they just don't want to see that. They, it's almost like they're playing the lottery, right? If I can put together a few good rounds at Q school, I'm going to make it. And, you know, it's like, well, do you know that you've never put four rounds like that together before that it's going to take to get through? And so it's, it's a little bit of a reality check. And, and it's, 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 like I said, it's such a brutal sport. Um, you know, so, so at least for us, you know, we do qualifying and if you don't make it, well, see you next week, you know, it's not see you next year or you're done for good. It's, you know, you're going to get another chance next week. Um, and then, and you still got 10 other guys on your team. They're telling you how much they love you and they're patting you on the butt and telling you things are going to be okay. Um, you know, coach Knight has a great line about, about, uh, complaining about playing bad when you're a professional golfer. He says, never do it because half the people wish you played worse and, and the other half don't care. So, you know, it's like, but you know, what, what are you, you know, what are you doing? You, and I just know so many guys that are in coaches now, um, a lot of them that we've already mentioned tonight, but other, you know, just so many guys that were really great college golfers and thought they're for sure they were going to make it in pro golf. And then when you start talking to them about why they didn't make it, it wasn't because they weren't good enough. It was because it was lonely and it was hard. And it was like, they didn't like the travel. They didn't like being away from their families. They didn't, you know, they didn't like going alone. Right. All those Matthew, things. Matthew Wolf, prime example. Right. I mean, you get yeah. to that level, that elevated status and all of a sudden the world changes and, oh my God, this is a you know completely new space for me to try and navigate. Yeah. So, you know, it's, 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 I'm here. I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't care about my players. I love them. I will do anything for them. Um, but at the same time, I'm really trying to get them ready for life after college. I want them to be, I want them when they graduate, that they are men. They're not boys anymore. And that they have a very factually based reality that they're living in and that they know that things are going to be expected of them and they're going to have to deliver or people are going to quit supporting them. It's not, it's different than high school and college that want, if you can't get the job done, they're going to look for somebody that can Well, and it's funny because it's a very unique aspect of my job is that I watch two of the best teams in the country go about their daily business, right? And so it resonates deeply with me because as we talk about this, you probably more than anyone have have kind of showed me that it's more about the act, right? It's the full package. So I know who's there, who's chipping, who's putting, who's grinding. I know who's spending the time. I log it. I watch it. They're members of ours. And I think that one of the things that really opened my eyes to Division One golf, and obviously coming from the from the Midwest and the North, it was slightly different. I know Mike's built a great program at Illinois, and there are some successes to be had. I know that the Gophers had a, a magical year once, but that being said, I watch, and it really opened my eyes. And, and much like you said, that package deal. And so, from a coaching standpoint, great. I know you can you can recruit off scores, and you can look at numbers, and you threw a little bit of a parent in there. I know there's some entitlement. You know, you're talking about bags and kids showing up without a belt, and hey, this isn't how we act, and hey, where'd the razor go? And I watch all of it, and it's it's been a really fun thing for me professionally, kind of to take. And I've taken a little bit from you and Justin. And kind of implemented that into my team about kind of that thought process of from the time you arrive to the time you leave, what did you do with your time, right? How did you make yourself better? I'm here. I got you here. I'm your coach. But how did you put the time in? How did you become better? And I think that's been a really fun thing for me to watch you kind of show some kids that might be younger, you know. I don't have to deal with the text messages from parents. I don't have to deal with any of that. I just have to make sure that their key card works and that everything's great. But share a little bit about that thought process on, as you said, let's go a little further into the the thought process of, hey, let's make them better people. Yeah, it's, 
you, you know, that's, that's our job in reality. I mean, th- I've, I really, really wish I could tell you how many guys have had to make it to the PGA tour, but it's a small percentage compared to the guys that have come through our program. And so, you know, I want every one of them to make it. That's, that would be awesome. But at the end of the day, most of them are going to go, um, have a job and a wife and kids and be members of their community. And I just think that that's way more important for them to leave um, as better people than, um, than they came in as and, and to grow up and to, and to think of others first and to care about something more than just what's in it for you. And, and I think our program does that. I know, I know, uh, you know, Russ Cochran's son played for me at a case and, and when Case graduated, Russ told me, um, you know, I think he's a better golfer, but I know he's a better man. And, you know, that's that's really what we try to do. And, you know, I, I'm a pretty good guy and my assistant coach is a good guy. We introduce him to lots of good guys if they're around all the time. And uh, I think that they've got some guys that they can emulate and realize this is how you go about it and how you do it. And, um, you know, and, and for the most part, the other thing in the recruiting that's really gotten crucial is picking guys, though, that are like that, right? That we're getting good guys, not just good golfers uh, to start with. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing. I, I can tell you that we've, the last month, we've really worked hard on some team building stuff on our team, trying to get this thing going in the right direction. The players want it. This it's becoming really player driven. Um, they're telling me what they want and it's all the stuff that we want to do. So we're all on the same page and now it's just a matter of putting it all together and, and uh, helping each other out and, uh, getting this thing going in the right direction. On that note, it's funny because someone once told me that golf really stands for the game of life first, right? And it's like, if you want to excel at golf, you got to get your life affairs in order first. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, yeah, because it's like, how many golfers come through the system that end up being an accountant or like they work in finance, but like you don't, you want to see them have success out there, obviously, because the team is involved and you want to like, elevate that team because they grow together but it's like yeah if you don't have your life shit in order first like it's hard to be successful for sure it, it's a it's it's a sport too like so in college what you'll see is guys that start struggling in school and so when they're on the golf course they're thinking about the test they just failed or the paper that's due that they have procrastinated on and so they play terrible golf yeah. right and then they get and then they get back to home to the apartment or study hall or wherever they're at and all they're thinking about, instead of doing their work that they're supposed to be doing, is the 80 they just shot today in qualifier. And they can't get that off their mind. And that circle just keeps on going. And if coaches, if you're not hands-on and really paying attention to what's going on in their life and, and having some contact with them every day, then that they can dig themselves into a hole that is really tough to get out of, whether it's being academically ineligible, whether it's all of a sudden they, they've lost in their golf game, they're looking for all these fixes where there's nothing's broken. Um, you know, there's just so much, you know, the game is, it's right up here, you know, it's in, it's in the brain more than anywhere else. And um, if that is, if there's something out of kilter there, then it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt the game and it's going to hurt your life. Coach, your people first. We love that. Our four Jack listener base needs a little insight into the coach. And yeah. his secret sauce. We're going to shift gears here. We're going to close out the show with a little episode we like to call the Rapid Fire 10. So we have 10 skill testing questions. We're going to come at you. We're going to get to know you a little bit better. Let me know okay. when you're ready. Uh, I'm ready, I think. <laughs> All right, coach. Yeah, this ready. segment is brought to you by Cricket Shirts, 100% organic cotton, four button placard, collar stays, 
amazing product lineup ready to go for 2022. First question of the rapid fire 10. Coach, what did you have for breakfast today? Oh, this is embarrassing. I had uh, about a half a piece of dulce de leche cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. Yes. <laughs> what a best answer yet. Wow. <laughs> We we had a little we had we had friends over for cards last night and that was the dessert and it was in the fridge. I was like, oh, that looks good with coffee. So that's what I had. All you potential Div One athletes out there, that's just that's the right. uh, this is the go-to <laughs> breakfast of champions. Like that one. Question number two, coach. What's in the bag right now? We know you're not a player, but you're art. You get out there a little bit to swing the wrenches. What are you playing right now, top to bottom? Walk us through the bag. Um, I have a epic driver. Um, I've got a Scotty Cameron putter. I've got Bokey wedges and uh, Taylor made their old Taylor made, I think R sevens, right? They're, they've been in there a long time. Oh, we got the yard. We got the yard sale set going on here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, it's, yeah. and I don't play very often. So <laughs> Parksy, I can vouch that uh, first he has not been used by the coach. I, I can vouch for that one. Yeah. That's he's walked many rounds, but he has not played a round yet. Coach, we're going to have to drag you through the mud at some point here, I think. <laughs> All right, we made the transition now from orange and, and white to red and yellow. So I got to ask the question, are you an outfit guy? Is there anything particular you're going to be wearing when you're out there, aside from the times when you're out there watching the students? Let me just clarify, though. I was going to yeah. say the same thing, David. A&M Maroon. Come on, we're insulting yeah. a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. For, all of those, for all of those A&M people, never, ever oh, used the word. The I'm coach kidding. literally hid his head when you said it, Parksy, and it's like, hey, I get it. Just <laughs> think well, Edmonton well, Orange. Well, I know where you're going. You're going Edmonton first, not Burnt <laughs> Orange. It is definitely Maroon. Definitely. Okay, maroon. definitely. Maroon, maroon to Maroon. Maroon to Maroon. <laughs> you, you well, we, got, we got yellow. We got yellow now, so... You can ask uh, if an AM player wore orange onto my practice facility, the whole team got a stadium at Kyle Field. Wait, I don't now That's I don't what own, I want to hear. I don't Legit. own a piece, I don't own anything orange in my closet to say. <laughs> I know I know that I'm supposed to develop this hatred for UCLA. Um, I do own some blue clothes, uh, but I don't I don't own any orange and I probably never will. <laughs> not baby okay. blue clothes though, right? What's that? I said not baby blue though. No, I, I I did have some, but I don't. I won't wear them. There's no judgment <laughs> they're, they're here. Going, they're going to Goodwill. Cool. Our, UC, our UCLA man fell apart today at the Hero World Challenge, but that's another story. <laughs> Question number four, Coach. We don't play a lot of golf, but do we have a go-to routine that we uh, engage in when we're warming up for a round of golf? Anything it, specific? Um, I try. If I'm doing, I try to do what I tell the players to do, and I would, I would definitely, if I only had a few minutes, I would hit a lot of putts, get the speed of the greens, um, and you know, another Dwayne Knight philosophy is uh, make ten three footers right before you go to the first tee, so you see the ball going in the hole, um, and just kind of grooving your stroke. Um, you know, it doesn't do me much good to warm up. But there's no telling where the ball is going to go. <laughs> Lots of demons. I like it. I do like watching Question the ball over. go in the hole, though. That is a great. Yeah, just yeah. Just get used to it because it's going to happen on the confidence. golf course. That's, that's right. Hey, hey Parksy, you know full well that the answer is is whatever the booster or the person that's helping him <laughs> out. That's exactly what he's going to do. If they want to be inside, he's going to be inside. If they want to go to the range, he's going to be next to him. You don't no, get wherever. to where he is without knowing exactly who you're with and yeah. what they're going to do to warm up. Yes. Read your would, audience, know your audience. Is that I, yes. I would definitely be hanging out with my partner. <laughs> that's correct. Love it. No orange clothing. Ho okay, no. Ho hopefully there's a Bloody Mary somewhere in there. I don't know. Yeah, oh there we go. Now we're talking. Bring some Canadian right, Caesars down if you've ever had the pleasure. 
love that. Question number five, swing thoughts. Maybe something that translates well from a collegiate player to the weekend warrior. Is this something you like to instill in your guys? Take this to the first tee. This should be the thing that you're thinking about. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, really, it's target tempo trust. Um, and it's, it's you know, the, the game, you're supposed to be athletic and try, you know, you, you're trying to get this ball from point A to point B. Um, you know, I've just seen Kevin and I, whatever that word is, you know, whether it's tempo or rhythm or, um, you know, what was Sam's need silky, you know, those, those things. Um, and then trust it, you know, that you've worked so hard. Uh, the guys on our team, they, they put in so much time that you just got to trust that it's going to do what you want it to do. And that's really what we go with every time. All right. Coach, trust Coach I, got, I got, I got one to add. Have you tried any of Andrew Parr's philosophies via Instagram <laughs> or have you tried to apply this to your players today? Who, Andrew Park? Oh, the interpretive yeah. dance on the first tee is that what you're talking <laughs> <Yeah>. about? Correct. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. Par- Parzi is a unique individual. He he's the best. I I I, uh, I live in Long Beach, and they do uh, they do free yoga across the street from me in the park. And I will I'll send him pictures all the time. I go, you should be here. This is a perfect day for you. You'd be out there. He'd be out there with no shirt on, doing yoga with everybody, leading the pack. I think. <laughs> That's why we love him. That's right. Shout out Andrew Poir, friend of the show. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Question number six, Coach, what is your go-to snack at the turn? Are you a guy that likes to go for a protein bar and a water? Are you looking for a pack of cigarettes and a six-pack? What are we looking to fuel up with? <laughs> so, so when I first started coaching, it was a Diet Coke and a Snickers. Um, now now I'm, I'm trying to be a little healthier, so it's usually uh, an apple or an orange. Okay, I like the cheesecake for breakfast. Yeah. I was going to say brunch. dolce de leche and uh, some coffee. Hey, life evens out. He knows it. Hey, yeah. when you're a it's Hall bad, of Famer, I was going to say back to Parks, you're talking about the breakfast of champions. It's like, no, this is when you've worked your ass off your entire life and you're a Hall of Famer. Then you get to enjoy yeah. the dolce Whatever de you leche. Like, right? That's yeah. exactly right. I'm going to let you come talk to the guys. <laughs> Is this like counting my, micros and macros here? Is this the, this is the balance we're trying to find? I love that. I, <laughs> I, just right, question I, I have to walk. I, I don't ever take a yeah, car. You're good. I just got to get as many steps in as possible. Quickly, because that sugar needs off. to be burnt off before it gets stored. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> question number seven, Coach. Give us maybe one of your favorite golf memories, something you celebrated on course maybe a collegiate memory in the, in the memory bank, something that really makes your hair stand on end. Yeah. I, there, there's so many from that national championship. I'll, I'll give you one. Um, Andrea Pavon was really struggling coming in that week. And he, um, he played pretty poorly in the, in the stroke play part. And then, and then our first match against Arizona state, he's still struggling. He just couldn't get his mind off a swing. And, and I just happened to walk up on him and he, and he said, uh, hey, look at my ball position. And I did. And I said, I said, I think it's a little up in your stance. And so the next swing, he moves it back and he strikes it. I, I don't know what it was, but he looked at me and goes, that's it. I found it. And then he goes, oh, it's too late, though. I'm going to lose because he was like three down with four to play or something. And I said, you know, Andre, that's OK, because you're going to lose, but we're going to win. We're winning. And he goes, oh, he goes, I will not lose again. He won his. He won his next match uh, six and four, and he won his next match seven and five. He did not lose another hole in the semifinals or the final. He was on Dave, wow. David Lingworth. He was four up through four. 
And, and so that every time I think of that, you know, when I think of Andrea, I always think of those, those last two days, how dominating he was um, in the, those last two days. And it was one swing just. And so I try to use that with the guys all the time is you never know when it's going to click. So you just have to hang in there. You just, you know, it, it could just, just like that, everything could turn and you just might start making birdies like they're going out of style. Amen. I don't hate that at all. Amen. All right, coach. We always like to ask the cliche question. We're going to let you play five today. Give us your dream force and who are okay. the four other guys that you just couldn't live without. On now, now, coach, this is one of the times when I've listened to this podcast forever and I'm lucky enough to be on it. I don't want some just nilly will answer. Like your Rolodex is intense. Like, let's go into it. I don't want to hear four PGA Tour guys, like guys yeah. you adore that are your guys. Yeah, well, Aunt Dorothy doesn't get a spot. In the day, so <laughs> keep, keep, keep the family out of it. It's, it's funny. And I, I'm actually going to tell them to listen to this because it's the truth. I, I can tell you who they are, and you probably never heard of them. Salim Aswari, uh, Casey Chami, Marco Gortana, played at Texas A&M, and Todd Cornelius. Um, those are my four guys in Dallas I that I do play golf with. <laughs> And so, I love it. And they're the only ones that have ever gotten me to go out in the last couple of years. Um, real quick stories. I wouldn't even play with them. And Casey um, said, hey, JT, I want to play with you. And and I said, Casey, I don't play golf. And he, he said, I'll tell you what, if you'll come play with us, I'll donate $10,000 to your golf team. And I said, and I go, I go, you know what you did, Casey? And he said, what's that? I go, you just set the price. Anyone that wants to play golf with you, <laughs> yeah. cost me 10 grand. Money talks, baby. <laughs> so, gotta, so gotta know your worth. <laughs> so I get back. He he wrote me a check that day. He wrote a check to Texas A&M for ten thousand dollars. Chandler Phillips had just turned pro, and he hadn't made a cut yet. And he happened to be in, in my office um, that day when I came in with the check. And I go, "This sucks, man. I've made more money playing golf than you have." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. yes. The, next, the next week, he won out and won. He won a what is it the, the mini tour down the ATP tour down there in Texas. He won, he won an event, won like 8,000 bucks. That's nice. I love that. All right. That's a good segue coach. Give us a couple of golf courses that you played or had the privilege yep. of playing that you really, really enjoy. Maybe something in Canada and something overseas. We know Rolling yep. Hills is home yeah. track for the U.S. So I'll tell you. Um, so my favorite course I've been to, um, got had the privilege, got to go all over the world with with people. And and uh, my favorite course in Scotland is Kings Barnes. I just think it's it's amazing. Um, took the team over there back in the early two thousands. Um, my favorite course is Inverness because it changed my life. Won a national championship there, and it, it is an unbelievable golf course. Um, I the other places that we've taken the team that both of them strike me as incredible is, is uh, Pine Valley and Friars Head. Um, we, we went and played uh, some matches there um, against Princeton and Yale and got to play some great courses. While we were there, when we played Pine Valley, we played uh, Baltrazal, Pine Valley, Trump National, and, and uh, Somerset. And then when we went up to uh, Long Island, we played Maidstone, The Bridge, and Friars Head. And so just, wow. you know, th those were some great trips. Um, but you know, gosh, we're, we're so lucky. I mean, when I, when I do our schedule, um, people, people laugh at me because they're like, you're a hall, you, you're more of a hall of fame scheduler than you are a coach, but we, we are either by the water or we're on a great golf course. Um, it's one of those two things. If, if we're going to 
play a course that's not maybe not considered one one of the most awesome courses in the world. There's probably water nearby, or otherwise, we're at uh, we're somewhere that's hosted a U.S. Open or a PGA or um, you know USAM something like that. So some some great so spots. I just want to well, sorry, Parks. Just one quick thing: when people say that that you're a Hall of Fame scheduler, do you say maybe that's the key to becoming a Hall of Fame coach? Is that I'm a Hall of Fame scheduler? <laughs> it doesn't hurt. I mean, you know, I, I can tell you that kids aren't coming to USC to play a you know a half-assed schedule. They they want to play the best courses against yeah. the best teams, and so that's what we're trying to give them. Scheduling them in the gym, scheduling them at the right golf courses, <laughs> scheduling the right breakfast. Schedule schedule is key, folks. That's right. I have question number 10 for you, and then I'm going to throw it over to Tom for question number 11. We're going to add one question tonight. Because we really didn't get into this too deeply, my question number 10 for you is, what has fueled the journey for you, if you could define it? Or, originally, it was um, very much an ego thing as far as, you know, I just wanted to be great at this. Um, you know, Dwayne told me about Dave Williams when I first started working for him and said, you know, this is a guy that won 16 national championships and couldn't break a hundred. Um, you can do this. And so that was kind of my motivation. Also, you know, uh, Steve Lloyd, Arizona state, wasn't a huge golfer and he'd done some great things. Bill Montegill, there was a bunch of guys. Um, but then once you start doing it and you get in your day to day with these guys and, um, you know, just, it's just making an impact in their life. It's just making it um, where when it's all said and done, they're going to think back on me wherever it was. And Hey, this guy helped me, this guy, this guy helped me get where I was going, whatever, where, whatever it ends up. I, you know, I hope that that was positive and a great experience and that you, you know, you enjoyed our time together and, and hopefully we won some golf tournaments along the way. But um, at the end of the day that uh, made, you know, we competed hard together and gave it our best and, and worked our tails off towards, uh, you know, something that we, we shared in common. So that's really it. I mean, it, it's the, it's the relationships and the, and the memories really, you know, having great stories to turn back on, on every single guy that's ever played for me. I love it. Love it. Okay. Season four, it's a big one, right? I I'm almost tempted to revert back to an older time for this question where, you talk about memories and these moments that make an impact on our lives. Like I'd like you to pull in from your memory bank, a moment that maybe isn't something that you share with everyone that was like meaningful to you in, in mm. the course of your journey. Like what's something that like could have been on the basketball court, could have been in someone's office, could have been on the street, just talking to a stranger that like that helped set you on the path that you are on and impacted your life or maybe the impact that you've had on someone else. So I played, I played high school basketball in Idaho um, for a Hall of Fame coach, uh, Don Haynes, who um, I haven't talked about this with anybody, even my closest friends from the high school team. Um, but Don, Coach Haynes passed away last month, uh, 90 years old. Um, he's the all-time winningest high school basketball coach in Idaho. And I think I want to say five or six national or state championships. And um, anyway, I never played basketball in my life till I moved to Idaho. I played baseball my whole life. That's all I cared about. Um, I went to a high school basketball game when I was in the ninth. So their high school starts your sophomore year when you're in 10th grade. So in the ninth grade, I'm still in junior high, went to a game. I'd never seen anything like it. This gym is packed. It's, the gym sat 3000 people. There's 5,000 people in this gym going crazy. And I was like, this is awesome. I want to do this. Well, 
I'd never touched a basketball. And so um, my first year, I'm on the B team. And at the end of the year, they call up the other starters on the B team and leave me down. I'm the only one that doesn't get promoted to A team. My sophomore year, the same thing happens. I'm on the B team and they, they leave me down again. Well, coach Haynes is the, the head varsity coach. He didn't have anything to do with the sophomore team, right? Except for, he said, he called me into his office and said, Hey, um, that wasn't my decision. That was, I let the coaches make their own decision. I'm telling you that if you work your butt off, you're going to be the starting post for us your senior year, but you're going to have to work hard. That's, but that's all it took Mm -hmm. from that point forward. I was in that gym every day. I was in the weight room. I was, I was just busting my butt. Well, I ended up, I don't don't know how many players I jumped over, but before my junior year started, I was a starter um, on that team. Um, And so like over 30 guys I passed up and it was all from one guy inspiring me to, to work harder and, and, to, and to give me a little bit of vision of where I could be. Um, and then, you know, that led, ended up playing college and basketball or basketball in college. And, you know, I mean, the guy just changed my life. And, and so, you know, he showed me what a coach is supposed to be. Um, just, a, just an awesome human being believed in me when really no one else did. I, you know, I'm, I'm my, I was raised by a single mom, you know, he's like a father figure. So um, just, just an awesome human being. I'm, I'm sad to see him go. Um, we, we ended up winning a state championship my senior year and we lost my junior year, but that it was a great team. Like, you know, should have went undefeated my senior year, lost one game, but um, it was still um, just an awesome experience for me and, and uh, life-changing really um, developing my work ethic, my attitude, um, just getting me going in the right direction. Um, if it weren't for that guy, uh, you know, who knows what I'd have been doing. Well, you know, coach, that's exactly why we wanted you on this podcast is there's, I told these guys earlier, they were asking kind of a, of a quick background. And, you know, I, I told them very simply, it's a quiet confidence backed up by character. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed is, is how you treat the kids. It's equity across the board. There's no such thing that is unequal. Those who don't work, don't get the same treatment that is those that do. You don't change your mindset or what you do. And as I explained to him earlier that the, the path for success is pretty simple to see. I mean, it's a pretty straight road for you. You don't very, very, you don't very much from that thought process and you stay consistent day to day. And, you know, a story like that, it was a great question by Tombo. It just, it really kind of cements what we were hoping to hear and kind of what I was explaining to them earlier, that it's just a different way to go about life, you know, and it's very odd that, you know, both you and, and Justin are two amazing golf coaches at the University of Southern California. Neither of you really play the game. One did, one didn't. One was a great athlete. Shout out to the Mountaineers and uh, <laughs> everything else you've done. But, you know, for our end, it's it's been pretty cool on my end. And I, I only can speak for me because, like I said, I, I, I'm lucky enough to have dinner with you and we hang out. We talk about alumni tournaments and fundraising tournaments. And, and I'm so blessed to be part of that Trojan family on the golf side, whether it's with you and Justin or Paul. But I think one of the things that I really want the audience to know is, is that there's 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 no difference from what you guys just heard. It It's consistent. It's what I see every day. Those who work are rewarded. And I think it's a fantastic lesson. And I just hope, as you and I discussed a couple of weeks ago, I hope that the parents really understand that. Because as we move into this era of, hey, the portal transfers, and if I don't like the answer, maybe there's an out. I think people are crazy to move away from guys and characters like you. I, I think that's a bad move 
Uh, I know that the consistency and the repetitive nature of which you live your life is worth talking about athletically and what you do for a living. So thanks for the insight to that. And uh, I know that we uh, we can't have three Canadians in a Minnesota make you make you late for a hockey game. So that's not fair to you. <laughs> totally. And Thank JT, guys. I just want to wrap up, Derek. I love that. I want to say one thing real quick, Tom, and that's you. Condolences, obviously, to lose somebody. Yes, but absolutely. Obviously, he made it a person. He made it. He touched you, you know, your your coaching strategy and your philosophy and your mental approach to everything. So that whole thing translates uh, into everything you do, and that's amazing. So, been a pleasure, thank, coach. Thank you so much. Yeah, JT. And again, this question, none of the other boys knew it was coming, but it's it's one of those things that I think really reveals like those moments in life that make someone who they are. And it's like knowing what you are and who, what you stand for in life and what, how you guide these players to become better people. It's I think important for people to know a moment in your life where that, like that catalyst for seeing life that way actually impacted you. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and it it means a lot to all of us. Thanks for getting personal with us. Have fun of the game tonight. Go Knights. Go Knights. Enjoy. Coach, we'll catch you down the road here. All the best this season. Hope to see you out at Rolling Hills. And JT, thank you for your time. As you know, it oh, means yeah. a lot to us. And, and thank you for coming on and, and being a big part of the introduction to season four. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks so much. You bet. Have a good night. See you guys, Thanks. Coach. Thanks.